Welcome to Meanwhile in Memphis, where New Memphis is celebrating our city by providing a weekly window into the ways Memphians are solving problems, looking forward, and successfully shaping the community. Good morning, everyone. It is another Tuesday morning in the 901, which you know what that means. It is time for your weekly episode of Meanwhile in Memphis, brought to you by New Memphis and also coming to you live from our friends at WYXR. So, my name is Christy Mullen. I am your host of this show and actually co-host, part of a co-hosting duo. I'm typically joined by my friend, colleague, and CEO, Anna Mullins-Ellis, but she was not available for this episode. So, later on in the show, I will be joined by my other friend and colleague and other boss, Anna Warman. But you got me for a solo intro, guys. She won't be here till a little later. So, got to do the intro by myself. Um, I apologize in advance that you had to tune in for this Hot Mess Express that's about to happen. (laughs) But no, thank you guys so much for joining. If you're a regular to the show, you kind of know who New Memphis is by now. If you're a new listener, hi, welcome. So happy to have you. What is New Memphis? New Memphis is an organization that works to activate, develop, and retain the talent of our city. We work to showcase our city's wonderful assets and the people who are putting in the work in our city to do amazing things. And so we use this platform, thanks again to WYXR, to highlight all of the cool stuff Memphians are doing to uplift and empower our city. So what's going on today? Well, today is one of my favorite days because today is Ted Piso Day. And, you know, this is where, again, I say this all the time, but I just really need like an end of the crowd goes wild button where I can just like have like a a round of applause. But alas, we can't do that right now. Um, But, you know, a a TED episode is really just a special episode where we interview past speakers of TEDx Memphis and play their talks for you live on air. Um, If you're not quite familiar with TEDx Memphis or, you know, the TED brand in general as a whole, you may be like, huh, what's TED? Don't know. Uh, Simply put. TED is this global community that kind of just welcomes people from all walks and every discipline and culture who seek a deeper understanding of the world, and they want to bring their big ideas and innovations to the stage through something that are widely known as TED Talks. Um, So TEDx Memphis is essentially that. We just bring that spirit and ideas of the big global TED to the local level of our community each year. So when I say we bring, New Memphis hosts this event and we invite community members to submit their bright ideas to have a chance at taking the TEDx stage. And it's just such a cool event that really represents what we do here at New Memphis is we want to, again, same reason we do this podcast, right? We want to uplift those stories of Memphians. Memphians are doing such big things, whether they're still here in our city, which we love to see people staying and innovating in our own community. But even Memphians that do choose to leave, they still shine a light wherever they go. And they really take that piece of Memphis with them. Because as we know, and I'm sure we've said it on the show before, but there's just something about Memphis that gets in your bones. It stays. And whether you're a transplant like me who came, you know, a little bit over a decade ago, or if you're someone who was born and raised here, there's just there's just something about Memphis, right? So, again, special TED episode. But who is going to be on this TED episode? Great question, listening audience. Great question. Today's guest is going to be Dr. Valerie Crabtree. And she is going to be here to talk about one of my favorite subjects of all time, sleep. We could all use a nap. We know it. You are probably, you might be, if you're listening to this live on the air, it is 8 a.m. So you might need a nap right now. If you're listening to it later on a podcast, you probably also need a nap because you know, who doesn't need a nap always? But Dr. Crabtree will be here with us a little later. And she is the chief of psychosocial, oh, that's a mouthful. She is the chief of psychosocial services at St. Jude's Children Research Hospital. And she will be joining us today to talk about her work, of course. But also, it's a TED episode, right? So she's here to talk about her TED talk she gave at the TEDx Memphis Conference in 2019, Teen Sleep, What Is It Good For? Absolutely Nothing. So I'm going to stop talking now and we're just going to dive right into the episode. All right, guys, welcome to Dr. Crabtree. She is here with us. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. We're super excited to have you here today. We're going to talk all about your TED Talk and all the things. But before we get started, I want you to just tell us a little bit more about you. 
Um, well, I am a pediatric psychologist, and my background is in behavioral sleep medicine. So I work with kids and teens that have had sleep difficulties. I've been doing that for about 20 years. Uh, since moving to St. Jude in 2007, I focused a lot more on sleep and fatigue in children with cancer, uh, but focus a great deal on adolescents and young adults. So mm -hmm. I've stayed pretty on top of <laughs> what the sleep needs are yeah. of teens. So I like read an article once that said you got interested in becoming a psychologist in elementary school. I did. And I don't think I probably knew exactly what a psychologist <laughs> did yeah. when I was 10, uh, but it sounded interesting to yeah. me. And so I tried to learn a lot about it and, and have stuck with it over the years. I just thought that was really cool because so often, you know, we all have like me growing up, for instance, I wanted to be a dinosaur doctor because that's what I thought a paleontologist was called officially. But I think it's really cool because you actually did take that thing you learned about as a kid and turned it into your career. Yeah, it's hard to imagine doing anything <laughs> else. So I know you are the chief of psycho psychosocial services at St. Jude. How did what led you there? So when I came to St. Jude, I was primarily doing clinical work, so mm -hmm. working directly with patients and families and doing a little bit of research and eventually moved into the role of the director of our psychology clinic. Yeah. And then a few years ago, we decided it would make good sense for all of the psychosocial services. So that includes things like our child life department, social work, chaplains, mm -hmm. our St. Jude School. We have a program that focuses on helping children and adolescents transition off from cancer-directed therapy. Mm -hmm. And we have a program that's a resilience center focused on our staff. And so we decided to put all of those under one umbrella, and I am the chief of that yeah. large umbrella. Yeah, just, you know, just a little bit of work you have to do every day, right? Yeah, just a little <laughs> bit. It keeps things interesting. I love that. So, after all the years in your field, you are obviously killing the game. I would love to know what is a little bit of advice you would have given a younger you to just if you could have heard anything at all, what would it have been? I think the big thing for me when I was younger is that I always felt like I needed to know everything. And if someone asked a question, I had to have the answer. And I'm like, is that directed right. at me, Dr. Crabtree? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's directed at a lot of us. But I think, you know, it takes some courage to acknowledge yeah. when you don't know something That's and good. and some humility. And I think if I could go back in time, I would say don't put so much pressure on yourself to feel like you have to know everything. I feel like you were brought here by the universe today <laughs> because that is something I need to hear a constant reminder of. And so I think it's so wonderful that you just said that to our listening audience, first of all. <laughs> so uh, we brought you here today, obviously, to talk about your amazing TED Talk you gave a couple of years ago. So before we get into that, I want to know, you were approved to give a TED Talk. Did you automatically know the topic you wanted to speak on? I did, actually. So this um, TED Talk is sort of my soapbox that I've been <laughs> on for a long, long time. And when given the opportunity to do something like a TED Talk, I knew that this yeah. would be a nice way to get this message out there to a different audience and really hopefully raise people's awareness about how crucial this topic is. Yeah. I found your TED Talk super interesting, not only because sleep is one of my favorite things on this planet, um, but I thought it brought to light a lot of things I have never considered before. And so you chose that subject because, like you said, it's your soapbox, but you also have children that are teen age that you, you know, you have a personal connection to the story, right? I do. So I um like I mentioned earlier, have been working with kids and teens with sleep problems for about 20 years. Mm -hmm. And that started before I even had children. Right. And I knew then that the teenagers I was working with were just having to get up way too early to go to school. Mm -hmm. And it just wasn't healthy. And started out really advising parents to really advocate at their school district level. And then when I had children and we moved here, the schools here even start even earlier than yeah. they did where I lived wow. before. Um, and have since learned that 7 a.m., which is when a lot of our municipal schools start, is the earliest 10% in the country. That was going to be my question. Like, what is the earliest start time Yeah, and it, So the only thing I've ever heard of that's earlier than 7 is there are some schools that will have what they call a zero period, mm. which is an optional hour. And some of those will start at 6.45 or 6.50. But 7 a.m. is the earliest required school start time in the country. Wow. I think it's so interesting because – 
we do live in this society where like we pride ourselves on hustling hard and just doing the most and all of this lack of sleep and we wear this exhaustion we experience almost like a badge of honor sometimes and there's all kinds of issues with that but what do you see in the work you do happening as a result of this? Like, how is it impacting the next generation? I think it's having a significant impact. And, you know, one of the things that we're seeing in this particular generation is how plugged in they are to mm-hmm. electronics and social media. And it's not just the devices themselves that keep kids up late, but it's also how appealing they are mm-hmm. and almost addictive. And so if they're playing a video game, it gets increasingly difficult, which makes it hard to stop. If they're watching, a streaming service, it goes automatically to the next episode, yeah. so it doesn't give you that natural pause. And things like TikTok and Snapchat mm-hmm. are just constantly in your face. And so we know that there's this difficulty with a later circadian rhythm or sleep-wake rhythm that adolescents mm-hmm. just have biologically. But then when you pair that with these constant demands on their attention, they're really going to sleep quite late. And when we're truncating their sleep by forcing them to get up so early, it really is setting the stage for things like chronic depression and anxiety and risky behaviors and these things that parents are really concerned about Mm -hmm. and their teens. And yet we have something we could actually do from a system standpoint Mm -hmm. if we changed school start times. It's just giving them that opportunity to sleep more and help their overall physical and mental health. So as we're working to make those changes, right, because changes like that take time um, to implement, what is the best advice for um, people, adults who have children this age? What can they do to help support this? Yes. So I think one thing is to start advocating as soon as possible. So I will say from my own personal experience, I started advocating for a later school start time when my older son was in the sixth grade. Now he's in the 11th grade. They still start at 7. So it hasn't (laughs) been effective. Um, Some of the schools, some of the municipal schools uh, close by have changed to later Mm -hmm. start times. Um, But I would say the earlier you can start advocating, the better, the more organized you can be, the more you can have other parents who recognize the risk here join with you because I think the school systems need to hear that this really is a concern for a large number of people and not just some loud parent who's getting on their nerves. (laughs) Um, And, you know, in the meantime, I think one of the challenges is that parents of teenagers, rightfully so, start backing off on how controlling they are of all aspects Mm -hmm. of their kids' lives. But sleep is so critical to their health that I think still having some expectations around when they go ahead and go to bed, when those devices are turned off, Mm -hmm. having a charging station in the kitchen so that everyone's cell phones go there, um, but really trying to set the environment for healthier sleep. The flip side to that is kids, most teens, need to sleep later on non-school days to kind Mm -hmm. of make up for that sleep debt. But if they're sleeping really late, you know, till noon or one in the afternoon, then they're not going to be able to go to sleep at night. So trying to help them, even on non-school days, get up to get light exposure in the morning and and keeping a good routine is helpful, too. I I feel like so often you hear this moniker with teens, right, when they sleep until noon on a weekend, your first instinct is like, why are you being lazy? Mm -hmm. Get up, do something. But after, you know, digging into Mm -hmm. kind of your research and your talk, it seems There's like a reason that is happening, what is the reason that's happening? And you really need to get to that root issue, right? Yes. And part of it is sleep debt. So if they're only sleeping five hours a night throughout the week, teenagers really need about nine hours it's like of a sleep bank, a night. Right? Yes, exactly. And so their their brains are just craving sleep. But I think one thing to keep in mind is that sleep is a biological need. So Mm -hmm. a person who's sleeping is not lazy. But we (laughs) we have that belief in our culture. But it's like saying a person who needs water is lazy. It's a true biological need that they're needing to fulfill. Look, I'm wholeheartedly in support (laughs) of that. As someone who feels like they are chronically tired all the time, I'm like, there's never enough sleep. And so I just kind of think back to when I was a teen and you're you're going through so much anyway. You're like learning to deal with your environment, plus like societal pressures, all of these things. Not saying like any of that is lessened as you grow, but I feel like the teen brain 
is structured so differently from the adult brain. Kind of before we launch into your talk, give us a little bit of um, like information about how how does it vary when you are a child that lacks sleep to a teen that lacks sleep to an adult that lacks sleep. So not getting enough sleep is not healthy for any age. And I think we all know that if you can think about a toddler who Mm -hmm. missed their nap and how miserable that is. It is not acceptable for me to throw a tantrum when I'm (laughs) tired. That is exactly right. And so for an adult or for a teenager, that's going to look different. But the reality is that the lack of sleep is still having an impact on the brain and on every cell in the body. And so for a young child, they're going to be irritable. They'll throw tantrums. It'll, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just very, very clear. We need to put this kid in bed. As children get older, they can organize themselves a little bit better so that they're not falling down on the floor throwing a fit. But that that aspect of needing to modulate emotions or control behavior is still going to be impacted. So that's true for a teenager. It's true for an adult. And so I know if I'm not getting enough sleep, I'm shorter with people. I'm irritable. I may get tearful about things mm-hmm. that wouldn't normally make me sad. Just like hypersensitive, Exactly. Right? Exactly. And it's all those aspects of our brain that help us control and regulate ourselves are really impacted by that. So you mentioned that that teenagers need nine hours of sleep. Does that amount stay the same as you age? So most of the time, young children need about, well, infants and toddlers can sleep 12 <laughs> hours, 15 hours. Um, and a school-age child generally is going to need about 10 hours of sleep a night. A teenager, it's typically around nine There's absolutely individual variability. Mm -hmm. So some people really only need eight hours. Some people think they only need six. Very few people is that true for. And then as adults, you'll hear on average most people need about eight hours of sleep. The range is somewhere from seven to nine. But even as adults, very few people are actually meeting those recommended length of sleep. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I say I'm definitely not meeting those hours of sleep. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things too, I, because I'm a psychologist, I focus mm-hmm. a lot on the way our brains function, the way our mood is. Yeah. But there's also a lot to be said for the health impact of that. So chronically deficient sleep is related to obesity and diabetes and heart disease and infertility and sleeping at the wrong time. So this circadian shift Mm -hmm. is even associated with higher rates of cancer. So if we look at people who've worked night shift over many, many years, they have a much increased risk for cancer later in life. It's so crazy to hear you say that because I don't think people ever think of sleep in these terms. We know it's something we need to function. We know it's I like to say we know it's important, but until you hear someone like you just state outright the ramifications that lack of sleep over time can cause, I don't think people really think about it. No, I don't think so. It's not as obvious as if you don't sleep that you feel irritable the next right. day. You know, these are things that they that are chronic and take a lot of time to happen. How so for people, teens, parents with teens that are listening and you're, they're struggling with sleep problems or they have a child who is struggling with sleep problems. How do we start to solve those issues? So I think generally there's a lot of good information out on the internet. Yeah. If you have a very young child, there's a website called babysleep.com, hmm. which is actually... You hear that, Anna Warman? <laughs> I'm here. I'm listening. I'm writing it down. Good. Um, so it really, it's called Baby Sleep, but it actually has good tailored advice all the way up to age three and a half or four. Yeah. Um, and then... If you still are finding that it's difficult, I would recommend taking your child to the pediatrician, seeing if you need to be referred to a sleep specialist, because sometimes it's not enough sleep. Sometimes it's something like sleep apnea, or it could be someone who has insomnia or circadian rhythm disorder and really needs treatment. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to overlook that. You know, (laughs) sorry, you mentioned that I had a child. So one of the things that I... He's a very adorable child, by the way. That's very sweet. But, you know, one of the things that I realized was that you can become overtired as well. And (laughs) the impact of that is worse than not, I don't know, not sleeping. They become crazy is Mm -hmm. what they become, right? (laughs) And so um, the challenge is that when you become overtired, then you have even more challenges in falling asleep. So it becomes this you know, rolling uh, snowball effect. Yes. It's just a um, battle. Yeah, it is. It's a complete and utter battle. So you really need to take care of these challenges 
um, and hit them head on so that that doesn't occur. Yes, absolutely. And and prevention is always the better route to go <laughs> than trying to catch up. But yes, and I think sometimes it's hard for parents to realize even this child who looks so wired and won't go to bed, it's because they really should have gone to bed 45 mm-hmm. minutes ago. <laughs> and, and, you know, it takes a little bit of trial and error to figure some of that out. You touched on it a little bit there about how sleep can kind of be a predictor of other issues, right? You kind of talked about how taking them to the pediatrician or even as adults, we could go to the doctor because maybe there's an underlying issue. Have you seen in your work that sleep can be a valid predictor of something else being a wrong? Oh, sure. Absolutely. You know, I've I've had children I've seen for sleep disorders who had been diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactivity mm. disorder. And in reality, they had sleep apnea. Wow. And when we were able to get that treated, they could function much better during wow. the day. Um, and that's not always the case. And yeah. certainly some kids can have sleep apnea and ADHD. It's not one or the other. But certainly just not getting good quality, healthy sleep impacts everyone, but children and adolescents in particular during the day. Another example is that for people who have narcolepsy, Mm -hmm. there's a very prolonged period between when those symptoms start and when diagnosis typically happens. Mm -hmm. And almost every person with narcolepsy will have been diagnosed with depression at some point in that window. Interesting. Because they're so sleepy that they do have lower mood, but they also start to have less interest in things they previously liked. They're less active. They're more socially withdrawn because they just need so much sleep. Gosh. This is so interesting And I was me. like, that's just your ability to function is taken away with 100%. the lack of sleep you get. Yes, absolutely. I'm just like so excited. I have so many more questions for you, Dr. Crabtree, <laughs> but I think we need to roll into your TED episode and then we will come back. So guys, the time has come. You're about to hear Dr. Valerie Crabtree's 2019 TEDx Memphis Talk, Teen Sleep. What is it good for? Absolutely everything. It's morning again in America. In the five o'clock hour of pre-dawn, teenagers are waking. They walk to the bus stop or get behind the wheel of the car in the dark. Silently, they make their way to school, yawning on the way. They might hear their stomachs growl because they probably didn't wake up early enough to eat breakfast. This isn't the Morning in America commercial of Ronald Reagan. It's the day-to-day experience of millions of our teenagers driving them further into sleep deprivation. This is something that we in the United States are doing to our kids. Teen sleep deprivation is a problem of epidemic proportion, and our society is doing very little about it. You don't have to just take my word for it. In its Healthy People 2020 campaign, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services set a goal to increase the percentage of teenagers who are getting at least eight hours of sleep per night. When teenagers do not get enough sleep, they have difficulty with academic performance, with physical and mental health, with mood, and with safety. I know this not only because I'm a pediatric sleep psychologist at St. Jude, but because I'm the mom of two teenage boys. My older son is a freshman in high school. He can be the life of the party. He's actually been talking since he was eight months old. Yet when it's morning in my house, it's silent. The only words spoken are things like, have you seen my hoodie? Or do you have your key? Even the dog doesn't wake up. (laughs) This is literally my dog. She sleeps through the silence. My son walks out the door into the dark to the bus stop. He disappears by the time he reaches the end of my driveway. And all I can see is the blinking lights of the school bus. Somewhere in my neighborhood, someone has a rooster. I don't know who they are or why they have a rooster in a suburban neighborhood, but long after my son has left for school, after he's already in his first period class, I can hear that rooster crow. 
The American Academy of Pediatrics and the Centers for Disease Control and basically any other major health organization you can think of in the United States have all stated that no middle or high school should start earlier than 8.30 a.m. Now our pediatricians prescribe medications for our kids and we listen. The CDC says throw out your romaine lettuce and no one's eating a salad. Yet we struggle to follow this clear guideline to promote health in our children. The importance of healthy school start times and maintaining healthy sleep in teens is a widely accepted fact by sleep professionals, well-respected researchers, physicians, psychologists. This is not should we or should we not eat eggs or should we eat dark chocolate or drink red wine. This is an undisputed change that we can make that has a positive benefit on our kids. And here's why this matters. Teenagers need about eight to 10 hours of sleep to function well. Yet with the onset of puberty comes a delay in circadian rhythm or our sleep-wake rhythm. Most teenagers cannot fall asleep before 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night, even if they put their phones away, and they should. But if they have to wake up at 5.30 in the morning to go to school, that's like an adult getting up at 3.30 or 4 o'clock every single day. We're asking our teenagers to walk into algebra or AP physics and perform well. Would you wanna walk into your boss's office at 5.30 in the morning and pitch a big idea? We literally clean our brains while we sleep, washing away harmful toxins and making room for memories to be stored. When teens and kids don't get enough sleep, they have worse academic performance, poor memory, and poor organization. The kids and teens that I treat at St. Jude are at risk for problems in all of these areas. And when they're forced to go to school at an unhealthily early time, we are forcing them to have worse functioning than they otherwise would. Even in healthy teens, those who get up at five o'clock in the morning to go to school have worse grades or standardized test scores. Teens who don't get enough sleep move less and they're far more likely to be overweight. They're also more likely to have problems with depression, with risk-taking, and with suicide. All of these are significant concerns for our teens. In people who don't get enough sleep, we see more suicidal thoughts, behaviors, and completed suicide across the age spectrum from youth through older adults. Probably because of difficulty with attention and decision-making, people who don't sleep enough are at far greater risk of having accidents. This is the reason the FAA mandates rest time between flights for pilots. 20% of motor vehicle accidents are estimated to be related to a sleepy driver like this one here. Now consider the impact on our inexperienced teen drivers. In one school district in Wyoming that changed their high school start time, they saw a 70% reduction in motor vehicle accidents with teen drivers. So we can see that there's a lot of problems with not getting enough sleep, but what about sleeping at the wrong time? We know from night shift workers that being asleep when they should be awake and being awake when they should be asleep causes a multitude of problems. We see problems with memory, with substance use, obesity, and even cancer. With our teenagers, forcing them into this excessively early start time is turning them into pre-dawn shift workers. And what about our communities? The impact of teen sleep deprivation goes far beyond the individual teen. If we could help kids go to school at a healthy time and get adequate sleep, we could see fewer teen suicides, fewer sleepy teen drivers coming around the corner in your neighborhood, 
and fewer teens at home for hours in the early afternoon before their parents get off work. But what kind of trouble could a teen get in all alone for hours? I see so many problems with chronic sleep deprivation in teens. Am I sure that changing start times would make a difference? Yes, I absolutely am with no hesitation. Countless studies support the benefit to teens of changing high school start times. About 20 years ago, a district in Minneapolis changed their start time later. And the sleep researchers there were fascinated to see what's gonna happen to these kids. Skeptics said, they're just gonna stay up later. And they were worried that they would see a decline in extracurricular participation, band, cheer, drama. What they found was just the opposite. The teens did not stay up later, but they did get a lot more sleep because they were sleeping later in the morning. And there was no change in extracurricular participation. The teens also had better grades and better mood. Now we started to see some momentum. Now we started to see some other districts start to take this on. Not in my own district, the school there starts at seven. About two years ago, the Seattle public school system, one of the largest in the country, changed their high school start time from 7.50 to 8.45. Now in my son's district, 7.50 would be a dream, but the Seattle board had seen this uh, information and really wanted to see if they could make a difference. So once again, these sleep researchers pounced on this idea. Now it's been 20 years. Now we have cell phones. Are these kids really gonna go to bed? The answer is yes. So what they found is the kids stayed up maybe 10 minutes later, but they slept much later in the morning, getting more than 30 minutes extra sleep each day. Over the course of a school week, that's two and a half hours of extra sleep. Not surprisingly, the teens were less sleepy. They also had better attendance, fewer tardies, and better grades. Even more recently, my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Lisa Meltzer, helped this initiative with a school district outside of Denver. They changed their start times in the high school from 7.10 to 8.20. Before the change, about a quarter of their high school students were getting the minimum recommended eight hours of sleep per night. After the change, 60%. That's astounding. And it's not just here in the United States. Very recently, the Minister of Education in France decided that no student between the ages of 15 and 18 would go to school before 9 a.m. Now, freedom fries aside, that's a remarkable impact on health for French teens. So as we're looking at the importance of this sleep, for our teenagers, it occurs to me what happens to the kids and teens that I treat at St. Jude. Teenagers with cancer or blood disorders who also have sleep problems. When they come to me, one of the very first questions I ask is, what time does your school start in the morning? Now, if the teen tells me 8.30, which almost never happens, I'm in good shape. There's a lot I can do as a psychologist to help this teen sleep better and feel better during the day and help their health. If they tell me 7 or 7.30, my hands are tied and I have to turn to a conversation with their parent about advocating for healthier start times in their school. We all have to advocate. Find out who's on your school board. Call them, email them, talk to your legislators. Now in South Carolina, there's a bill recommending the whole state change their high school start time. I've been waging this battle in my son's district, and I think I have learned as a sleep researcher advocating that our school boards don't need to keep having facts thrown at them. They know this is a problem. They've heard about this research, but change is hard, and there are logistical concerns to take into account. I think what they need to hear is our stories, our stories of our kids, our grandkids, our neighbors who are suffering, suffering from sleepiness, from poor grades, from depression, from accidents. In schools with healthy start times, student athletes are far less likely to have athletic injuries than early starting schools. And I think our school boards need to hear about our students who might not be outwardly suffering, 
They're just, they're surviving, but are they thriving? Is that not what we want for our future leaders? Sleep is the third pillar of health, along with movement, as you just saw, and healthy nutrition. And we are causing our teens to be unhealthy physically and emotionally. Every day that we do not take action, another teen suffers. If we could save just one life, would that not be worth it? I urge you all to get involved with the Start School Later movement. Join the Start School Later organization. You can find them online. Start a chapter in your community. Join a chapter that exists. Call your school board. Because on Monday morning, I will once again wake up in the five o'clock hour with my son and watch him walk out to the bus in the dark, along with millions of other teenagers, some of whom have depression or diabetes or even a history of a brain tumor. If we could make this change, we could see fewer kids dying in car accidents, fewer state troopers knocking on parents' doors, and more teens awake and learning. This is what Morning in America could be. Thank you. All right, guys, we're back. And just a reminder, if you're just now tuning in, you are listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WIXR, coming to you every Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. and available anywhere you listen to podcasts at 9.01 a.m. So let's get back to the show with Dr. Crabtree. You guys just heard her TED Talk. So I first feel like we need to acknowledge that it takes <laughs> Everything in my person not, not to, to sing, sing the title of your TED Talk every time I say it aloud. I'm glad it worked. That was my goal. <laughs> I was like, I just have to note that off the top. So you start your TED Talk talking about sleep deprivation. And so for those listening and just to level set ourselves, how do you define sleep deprivation? So sleep deprivation really is defined as not achieving as much sleep as the person has as an individual need. So each person is going to be different. And normally what I tell people is if you could envision taking a week-long vacation mm -hmm. where you have no schedule at all, you don't have to be anywhere at any time, what time do you go to sleep? What time do you wake up? Are you waking up on your own and how do you feel? And so usually the first couple of days is catching up that sleep debt because the vast majority of Americans are sleep deprived. Mm -hmm. But the last half of that week, are you sleeping eight hours a night? Are you sleeping nine hours a night? That's your sleep need. And that's really what you should be doing during your typical I week. love that. That is such a practical mm -hmm. way to understand your own body. Right? Yes. And it doesn't take a lot of time to do that. That's that's great. I have a really hard-hitting question before we get into the juicy <laughs> part. Is there still a rooster in your neighborhood? I moved. Oh, goodness. I'm <laughs> so disappointed. Show over. I know it's sad. <laughs> I literally never figured out where that rooster was coming from. <laughs> I well, we've that. got one in our neighborhood, so apparently oh. the rooster may have moved. Oh, there's a rooster out. movement in Memphis. <laughs> there's, a rooster, there's a chicken movement and a rooster movement. All right. Well, Anna Warman, I know you have a really I do. interesting I do. question. So, you know, earlier we were talking about um, the school start time, right? And that's that's kind of the biggest way that we can impact this. There's always two sides to every story. So what do you believe? You're coming from the clinical side of if you make this change, X, Y, Z can occur. What do you believe? And I understand that this could be an assumption, of course, but what do you believe is the reason behind schools starting so early? So this happened many years ago. And interestingly, it started happening in Memphis earlier than the rest of the country. Um, but as buses started running routes and the cost of the buses were assessed, it became clear that having tiered start times would help the school district save money so they could take the mm. same set of buses, the same set of bus drivers, and run three different routes for high school, for middle school, for elementary school. And the way to do this was to have no one wanted young elementary students standing at the bus stop in the dark in the morning, so they thought it would be better to have the older students do that. And so in most communities with these very early start times, that's how it started, was trying to save money on bus mm -hmm. routes and not wanting young children in the dark at the bus stop. And we really didn't know much about adolescent sure. sleep health at that point in, in history. And so what happens, I think, with any system is once we get into a routine, it is very, very difficult to yeah. break out of that routine. 
So there really is no biological rationale for maintaining this. The rationale for maintaining this is we're used to it. Mm-hmm. It's too expensive to change. And sometimes we will hear people say older children need to take care of younger children after school. So we need the high school students getting home before the elementary students get home. Right. Um, and in reality, the percentages of families that rely on that type of child care is actually pretty low. Um, but these are kind of the concerns. The other piece that comes up a lot is how will students maintain after-school sports, after-school jobs, mm-hmm. other extracurricular activities? And that is just a fallacy in terms of an argument because the school districts that have successfully made this change have seen no change in participation in sports, no change in participation in extracurricular activities, and students are still able to maintain jobs after school. And one of the reasons is that most communities with their after-school high school jobs are sort of built around the high school time anyway. Mm-hmm. So if you think of somewhere like Sonic, for example, that's the big one where my kids go to school. <laughs> it's right down the street from the school. So everybody is there by 210. Mm-hmm. Well, if school got out at 3, everybody would be there at 310. So you don't yeah. need the same time. You wouldn't need staff there at 145. Got if that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. I am interested since you're, you know, you bring up the schools and things often and you talk about like the successes other schools have had just do you know this virtual atmosphere what has its effects been on sleep cycles it's really interesting there have been some fascinating articles written and some Mm -hmm. new research studies that are coming out it's it's kind of up and down really so here shelby county schools when they were virtual for so much of the school year they didn't start till eight Mm -hmm. so that was a later start time for them was really giving their students an opportunity to sleep more. And they didn't have to travel. You know, you can roll out of bed and turn on your computer. Um, For other schools that have been on more of a hybrid schedule, I think there's been some difficulty for students because they have to get up really early on the days they're in person. Mm -hmm. There's no morality, right? Exactly. So the the lack of routine, I think, has been a real challenge. Yeah. Just that's so fascinating. This whole conversation is fascinating to me and I could keep you forever, but I know you're a very busy lady. So (laughs) one more question before we go, maybe two. Um, But like if people could take one thing away from your TED talk, what do you hope it would be? I I probably can't narrow it down to one. Can I have two? You can can give five or (laughs) ten if you so please, ma'am. I think the number one thing is just how critical sleep is Mm -hmm. to physical and mental health and particularly during adolescence, which is such a period of biological and social and emotional change. Mm-hmm. It's just critical. And by extension, having a school that starts at a healthy time that's in line with adolescent biology is one way to really promote the healthiest development for these adolescents. And and that's physically, so things like fewer car accidents. Right. It's emotionally and having lower rates of depression and suicidal thoughts. And it's social that the better decisions they can make, the better their brain is functioning, the healthier those students can be. Yeah. And you gave us some resources at the beginning of the show before we rolled into your TED Talk. But if people want to get more involved just supporting your work or the work of St. Jude as a whole, how can they do that? Well, if they're interested in supporting St. Jude as a whole, please go to stjude.org. And there's a number of great ways to support the hospital. I always encourage people to do that. Um, If you're interested in sleep, I would recommend looking at the National Sleep Foundation. And if you're specifically interested in healthy school start times, which I hope people are, uh, startschoollater.net is the nonprofit organization that really encourages communities to advocate for healthy school start times. Awesome. That's awesome. So awesome. Well, Dr. Crabtree, it was so great to have you here. I would love to keep you here forever. But like I said, we know you're a very busy lady and you have work to do today. I do. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Have thank a you. great day. guys thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode it was such a i always say this and i know it gets 
probably old for you regular listeners to hear me say, but it was such a good one. Um, I feel, again, my, the TED episodes we do, these episodes where we highlight past TED Talks from the TEDx Memphis Conference, are some of my favorites um, just because these ideas are so cool and innovative. And even if it's an idea that you are fully into or kind of agree with, or maybe you, you don't agree, like, you know, you're just learning something new and you don't necessarily agree. I think that's like the beauty of these episodes. And honestly, Ted in general, is that it's just opening your mind to these ideas and horizons that you may not have even considered. So we love we love a growth moment, right? <laughs> Especially here on this podcast. So super, super excited to have Dr. Valerie Crabtree here today. She just gave us so much to think about. And um, I know when I think about sleep in general, like it's a very linear thing. I'm like, oh, sleep, I should probably get more of it, right? But she actually, you know, took a minute to dive into why it's so important and how it impacts specifically teens, but really all of us in general. Um, So before we end today, a few end of show announcements. If you, yeah, you, I'm talking to you. If you are not following us on social media, do it, please do it now. I'm not just saying that because I run our social media account. But please give us a follow. We post all of our upcoming guests for Meanwhile in Memphis there. We also highlight all of our events and highlight just what things that are going on in our community. And we uplift the wonderful, wonderful New Memphis graduates and alumni we have and the amazing things they're doing in our community. So if you love staying in tune to everything that's going on in our city, we're a perfect asset for that. So Give us a follow. We're on all four major social platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. But if you just follow us at The New Memphis, you'll be able to stay in touch with us and kind of stay in tune. And also, when you follow us, you will see we are currently in open recruitment for our programming. Uh, We do here at New Memphis, we do a lot, uh, but a major focus that we you know, arrow it, zoom in on kind of is professional development. Uh, we have three levels of professional development, Embark, Fellows, and LDI. They kind of run the spectrum of professional development. So you kind of have your young professional. Someone on our Instagram channel called it a YoPro the other day talking about young professionals and is taking everything in me not to take that and just use it all the time. <laughs> but we have a, our program for young professionals, which is Embark. And then our program for kind of your more seasoned leader, maybe your elder millennial like me, you've been in the game for a while, you've been working, you know, you, you're not a newbie, but you're also not like uh, executive leader yet. Fellows is for you. And then we also have our LDI, which stands for Leadership Development Intensive. And that's more for your senior executive leader that's really at the top of their game, just kind of needs to get, you know, their skills. Everybody needs to touch up on their skills, right? You're never done learning. If you think you're done learning, you're wrong. So we have these three various leadership development programs and we are taking open enrollment for Embark and Fellows at the moment. LDI is actually sold out for the year, which is amazing. Uh, and so when we get ready to like look for that class again, we'll be sure to let you guys know. But Embark, Fellows, are you interested? Do you need to professionally develop? The answer is yes. If you're sitting there saying, no, I'm good. Again, not I'm not in the business of telling people they're wrong because I'm wrong all the time. But you're wrong. Everyone needs to develop themselves professionally. Again, you're never done learning. And so you might as well come over here and do that learning with New Memphis. Uh, it's not only will you got, walk away with so many new skills just to kind of broaden what not even your understanding and relationship with Memphis, but your relation and understanding with yourself, but you're going to also have a lot of fun in the process. Um Numavus has a way of making professional development not seem like you're just going and sitting in a classroom and getting talked to. You're really enveloped in this experience. And it just it's a great way to not only get to know, like I said, others and get acquainted or reacquainted with Memphis. It's a wonderful way to just get to know yourself. Um, So, again, if you are interested in applying, you can do that in several ways. Like I said, follow us on social media. You'll see where the links are listed in our bio or visit newmemphis.org. There's like at the top of the frame, drop down menu, there's a programs tab. You can find all the information you need there. If you're curious and you just don't know what's for you or you don't know if you're 
you know, eligible to do it or you have questions. Several ways you can get in touch with us. You can email info at newmemphis.org or you can slide into our DMs on Instagram and I'll get back to you and help you answer those questions. So again, follow us on social at the New Memphis guys and really consider applying for one of our programs because they're awesome. Also, I would be remiss if I did not say, and I promise I will stop rambling after this. We are launching, no pun intended, our launch summer experience this summer. So actually this month, our first event will kick off. So if you are a college student or I don't think college students are my key demographic listening to this elder millennial spew things on this podcast and radio show. But if you know a college student or you have friends that have children who are college students or you know if you're a business leader listening to this and you or you work for an organization that hosts interns, this is for them. Launch is our premier college experience where we host these events in the summer is part of launch. It's called Launch Summer Experience. And we basically use it to bring the interns that are in the city for the summer all together. And this year is the first year that it's ever going to be hybrid. So we're excited to see how that works, but we're also excited for the students because we know, you know, unfortunately due to the pandemic, not everyone has been able to bring their interns back in person. So New Memphis is really working to work with companies in the city and work with intern schedules. And we've developed this hybrid model where our professional development series of classes and fun getting to know use and connecting people to these city leaders is still going to remain virtual. So any college student, any intern can join from anywhere. But what a big part of the summer experience is meant to do is these interns and these students who are here, even if they've been from Memphis their whole lives, we're introducing them to parts of Memphis they may not have seen before. Or if they're new to the city, they've definitely not seen before. So the other like prong of the summer experience is we're going to do this in-person aspect, which is usually, again, the summer experience is usually in person in totality. But hybrid model, already said why. (laughs) But anyway, the social events will still be in person. And there's so many cool things. Like I say this every time we talk about launch. I'm jealous that this was not a resource that was available to me as a college student and as an intern moving to Memphis fresh out of college for an internship. Didn't know what I was doing. Didn't have a network. First gen college student. I was kind of flailing, just figuring it out. And it would have been amazing to have something like this. So, guys, if again, if you're a college student listening by chance, hi, thank you so much for listening. Or if you're someone who knows a college student, has interns, et cetera, et cetera, you can find out more at newmemphislaunch.org. And you can also find out more on our social platforms as well. So, again, guys, if you follow our social platforms, you're going to get all this in a nutshell. Just saying, at the New Memphis. Um, but uh, again, I promised I'd stop talking after that. So I'm going to stick to my word and say, have a good day, Memphis. We'll see you next time on Me While in Memphis. Bye. Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you in partnership with WYXR, produced by New Memphis and hosted by Anna Mullins Ellis and Christy Mullen. For more information, please visit newmemphis.org. Audio for this show is recorded and produced by the OAM Network. For more information, please visit pod901.com.